don't do anything I wouldn't do. And if you do, take pictures. Welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Rhonda Oglesby. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Broom. And I'm your co-host, Mark Scholl. While Regina is taking some much-needed time off, the guys are taking over. Yeah, let's turn the tables a little bit today and talk about the top five male sci-fi characters from classic television. And we'll start off with a discussion of male tropes. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Well, we've had a lot of discussions on the show about female tropes and the way that female characters are built within the story. The damsel in distress, the whiny and bitchy woman, the victim, etc. But... I'm so excited because I've got the guys on the show. Hey, Mark. Hey, Ryan. Hello. So we're going to fish around and see and talk about whether or not there are any tired, lazy male tropes around. Um, is this something that flips on the other side of the gender scale or not? What do you guys think? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've, I've got one. As soon as you mention it, there's been one that's been stuck in my craw for years now. Literally decades, probably. Um, huh. and, and that being the trope of the stupid, lazy father, a la Al Bundy, uh, Homer Simpson, or Peter Griffin. Oh, that yeah, that's a good one, actually. I mean, I, I kind of get where it comes from back, you know, maybe in the 60s and 70s when, you know, some or a lot of fathers were kind of just there in the evening and, you know, didn't really pay attention to what was going on in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nowadays, I think that trope is well behind us. I can't think of a single one of my friends or family members of the guys who are fathers that are, you know, not very involved in their in their kids and, and their home life. So, Well, the problem yeah. with that is, though, is that the serious, down-to-earth, uh, normal father is not comical. No, no, he no. isn't. But, you know, it, it just gets old, in my opinion, especially since there's so much of it, at least from two shows. <laughs> it doesn't always, you know, need to be the father figure. I I don't want to, like, say that fathers are infallible or anything like that or, or whatever. But, you know, it can always be somebody else. I think it's just too easy to make that character. And I've seen it other places, too. Those are just the, the ones that really stick in my head mainly because they've been around for decades. Disney used to do that a lot, too. Yeah, actually. uh, Didn't Dick Van Dyke have a lot of stuff like that? Um, Well, I don't know about that, but I'm thinking of the father figure in Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Kind of in Beauty and the Beast, Um, but especially in Aladdin. I mean, the guy was just an idiot. I mean... So you see it, too, then. it's not The Sultan... Oh, yeah. Well, and also what I'm wondering is if that trope is still pretty pervasive, but it's changed a little bit to more of the failure to launch guy. Yeah. Um, the guy who's still hanging out with his college buddies, still hanging out with at the bar, um, still, you know, ogling girls, even though he's got um, a, a baby in the carriage. Right. There was, there was actually a show that that premiered this year uh, with that theme. And it's like, okay, I mean, are they taking any responsibility at all whatsoever? (laughs) And it's just this whole thing, like, I can't fully commit to this kind of lifestyle. 
Yeah. I mean, I get that. I mean, that, that person is out there and, um, you know, stereotypes are around for a reason, but it, it just seems like those kind of things are, are too easy at times. And I agree with Ryan that, you know, it, it, it doesn't make for very funny or interesting TV necessarily if you don't have that character, but it doesn't always have to be dad, you know? No. And I, I, I don't mean to be misunderstood. I, all I'm saying is, all I was trying to say is, yeah, I think this trope's still around mm-hmm. and I think they've just tweaked it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't particularly care for the image. I, I still look for the, the really strong family couple that, that can carry the humor and the drama. I mean, one of the, one of the, the greatest teams I feel like I ever saw was in um, Nick and Nora Charles and The Thin Man. Hmm. And it took some really good writing to get that carried off, especially in that time period when sexism was a little bit more prevalent and harder to, to handle. But they were equals in that, in that show, and they were hysterical and madly in love with each other. Right, right. And you don't you don't see that. There's got to be some sort of you know bizarre flaw or something, you know. Yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Well, Ryan, what about you? Are there any particular tropes that, that bother you? Uh, you know, thinking about it, um, with the subject matter, not a ton. You know, I don't really put that much thought into it. And you know, funny enough, I listen to uh, you and Regina so much that. You know, I really look more on the female side of things just from, you know, listening to you guys and your discussions so often, I really can, you know, understand what you guys are talking about. But when, you know, I was thinking about it on the male side, I was like, meh, I don't really know. Uh, one thing that did come to my mind uh, discussing with Mark before the show, it seems like every time my kids are watching something on Nick TV or, you know, anything that's like a, a tween uh, comedy show on television, it seems like all the... The male teenagers have turned into Screech from Saved by the Bell. You know, Ooh. they can't they can't say anything awesome, uh, and they just they don't sound smart. Every time I walk by, it's like, what are they saying? <laughs> and you're seeing you're seeing this on Nickelodeon. Yeah, or oh, it Disney. could be it could be Nickelodeon, could be Disney television, anything that's like the preteen or early teen uh-huh. TV shows that they watch. And it just seems like they're portraying the youth, you know, as extremely unintelligent. And being a, a teacher, you know, I know that that's not true. So it really bugs me when they, you know, portray them as, you know, the stereotypes that most people think of teenagers anyway. But, you know, yeah. it's just not how people really act in in school on a regular basis. Well, here's a question for you, Rai. Um when you when you say that, is it only the guys they portray that way, or do the 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 female characters get the same treatment, or the female characters typically the the smart and savvy ones and and have you know intelligent things to say? Well, it depends on the show. I mean, they a lot of it is very formula to television, you know, where they have the the ditzy girl and then the brainiac girl, and you know, and and I think a lot of it has to do with my age, you know. Yeah. And I think with a lot of the way we perceive characters and stuff in television is there is a bit of an age gap when it comes to vocabulary. You know, a lot, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, text speak. People are saying LOL instead of, you know, just laughing. Huh? LOL. Totes my goats. You know, just saying, you know, things like that. And in my brain, I'm thinking that sounds really stupid. (laughs) Oh, it does. You're you're absolutely correct. So, you know, maybe it is no different than you know, the Saved by the Bell from my generation or whatever the case may be. It's just, you know, it's a generational gap. 
Could yeah. be. Yeah. Well, and I I also remember, and I believe it was early 2000. I don't think it w- they were doing it uh, in the late 90s. But there was a trend of um, the stupid husband in commercials. Oh, yeah. They, where, still, do they still do that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, I heard it on the radio, on television, pr- pretty much everywhere. It's like the wife is just like, poor dear, if I weren't here, you couldn't even get your socks on. <laughs> There's hey, not to say that there aren't. I was going to say sometimes that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. But it, it to me it was it was so obvious to a certain degree that it seemed like some sort of pendulum swing that people were like, okay, well, okay, they want us to quit to be um, more equal and to treat women better. So to do that, that means we've got to treat men bad. Right. Just and I yeah. weird. And I and I am completely against that. Um, <laughs> Well, no. I, I, to me, I think that if you have a reaction, uh, a very reactionary outcome to something like the feminist movement or um, equal rights um, movement and, and such, that it's going to cause a, the pendulum to swing the other way violently. I mean, eventually you might get the pendulum to settle down into the center more, but I think the more reactionary one side is on on an issue the more reactionary it makes the other side. I mm-hmm. think in in my humble opinion that if, you know, people would let go of things a little bit more when things start swinging back towards center, then you wouldn't have this back and forth all the time, you know? Yeah. So, well, and also if you think about where do, where do we pull this stuff from? It is from things that we, you know, see on television, see in movies, uh, you know, see on the internet, uh, you know, you, Think about this this generation, a lot of the, you know, human interaction that, that people see, at least the youth, is on YouTube, you know, and it's just like, you know, stupid pet tricks or this guy, you know, crashing his bike and smashing his testicles, you know, and it's hilarious, funny, whatever. But, you know, if you think about media, you know, if you just went down the center for everything, then it would be uninteresting to the majority of the general public. So I don't think that people put that put this stuff on television or out in the, the social media atmosphere are stupid. I think they know exactly what they're doing. You know, whether oh, yeah. it is to get a, a positive reaction or a negative reaction, they're getting a reaction regardless. Yes. Right. And that's and, all they want is the reaction. And that's all they want. They want the yes. reaction. Right. And, and I understand that um, as far as media and entertainment go. I'm, I'm just saying that you don't have to go as as hard in the opposite direction as you went in the other direction originally to to make things you know achieve a balance if you you know let the the pendulum come to a slow a slow ticking if you will or or come to a stop then it you will have a balance and equality right and i don't disagree with you on that i'm not saying it's right i'm just saying the reason that it is that mm-hmm. way is because we've become you know a always got to be plugged in um can't be bored at any point in time society in general Mm -hmm. you know and there's just so much media coming at us um how do you stand out yeah and that's exactly what it is i mean what can i do to one-up the other guy you know what's going to make people to look at my website or tune to my uh, network and i mean that that kind of goes full circle back to the tropes because it's like well then we just make him more stupid or we make him more ridiculous we make Mm -hmm. her more ditzy or more blonde and that that you fall on these tropes instead of becoming more creative 
in your craft, more creative at what you're doing. Because there's there there are plenty of foibles, Ryan. Like you said, you know, yeah, some guys do need a little help getting their socks on. <laughs> there there's plenty of humor. I can put my there, socks there, on just fine. Thank you very much. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> you know, one of one of my favorite um, shows for watching uh, a really good back and forth, in my opinion, is. Um, I, I love that show Bones, um, and I like watching oh, yeah. the character of Dr. Brennan, um, you know, kind of played against the character of, you know, the FBI, you know, tough man who was a jock in high school, you know, and is, doesn't have a doctorate. And, you know, how she does she does she isn't a damsel in distress. She, if you watch her in that show, like 90% of the time, she's, you know, saving her own butter, kicking ass herself, you know, and well, he, yes and no. I mean, yeah, I think I towards mean, the beginning of the series when they were, you know, definitely establishing her character as a scientist, there was mm-hmm. definitely some basic human interaction stuff that they were slamming her on, on a regular basis. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like there's a good give and take between those two characters because, you know, he isn't always the dumb one. He he's very insightful into um, you know human character and can often you know see things in other people in that show that she doesn't see because she sees things as black and white and such. And I think they have great strengths and great weaknesses that play off of each other. And it's something that I like to see very much in you know that show. And I would love to see it more in other TV shows. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that, there really is a. Uh, they seem to be struggling with a balance between their male and female characters. It's like someone has to be the idiot. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, depending on, on what you watch on television and, you know, I was discussing with, with Mark before the show, how, you know, everybody on reality TV is not very smart. <laughs> it just, you know. Yeah. Or, I do. What, what was the, what was the comment you made, Mark? Reality TV is not very real. Or, well, I think you said reality TV is uh, yeah. about the furthest thing from reality. Yeah, it is the furthest thing from reality. Yes. And, and you know, it may be that there are some smart people on those shows, but you'll never know it because of the way they edit those shows to, you know, make everybody look dumb or petty or whatever. Right, and they work in video production, and, you know, it is, to me, it is completely obvious that you could have somebody in a normal reaction, but as soon as you point a camera in their face, mm-hmm. they're persona will change one way or another they'll be a little bit more emotional they'll worry about if their hair looks good while they're being emotional you know it's just Mm -hmm. other thoughts come in their head and it takes that natural reaction from a person out of the equation yep i agree well i've only got one trope i think to add to the conversation and and then um i think that we we really if we keep talking i think we would probably find a find more but the the one that i get really tired of is the um the guy who has to die for everybody <laughs> to live <laughs> yeah <laughs> the leonardo dicaprio i think you could have fit on the raft situation right <laughs> you know I just get I get really really tired of that and um, actually it brought it brought to mind did either of you guys see the um, the animated feature the Crudes yeah I did uh, I only saw like the last little bit of it the ending um, just actually a couple of weeks ago my my wife was watching it yeah it's it it's got some really good animation it's got a few punchy lines but for the most part the story's just kind of weird and and really a roller coaster kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's a situation where at the end, um, 
the dad has to sacrifice himself to save everybody. But they go past that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, what happens to the guy? He stays on the other side, and he he throws everybody else over to safety. They continued the story, and I liked that so much mm-hmm. that he didn't just sit down there and die. Right. He didn't just let it go. He was like, you know, he was sad, he mourned, and then he fought for his life. Well, actually, he he, he kind of fought for his life, but also it was uh, um, one of the uh, animals ends up, or actually several of the animals end up in the cave with him, I think. I can't yes. remember exactly, but it wasn't just his life he was saving. He was he was trying to save theirs as well. So that's true. That's and, true. And I agree with you. I thought it was you know well done because I, I I just happened to be watching at at that particular point in the in the movie and I was going oh he's gonna die yep this is it and I thought that was kind of dark for uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> an animated movie yeah but, but uh, um, yeah he didn't die at the end so spoiler alert by the way <laughs> yeah whoops. Oh, yeah. If, if it's been at the Oscars, you people should have seen it already. Um, the other one that's interesting, what was that last um, Tom Cruise movie, the sci-fi thing? Oblivion? Oh, Oblivion. Yes, Oblivion. Um, I mean, we actually got into an argument, uh, my husband and I, about the ending of that, the um, the male character versus the female character. And... The fact that he came back, yes, this is big, big time spoiler, people. He came back, but he was a clone. He was a copy of a copy. My husband just kept saying, hey, I'm sorry, he's not the same. He's, he's not the same guy. And I'm like, but what, you want her to be alone? He goes, yeah, it would be better if, she, if he just wasn't there. And I'm like, you asshole. <laughs> that's, not, that's not from her perspective. Yeah. It, and it's the same thing on the ship. Whenever um, they were trying to save each other, she was supposed to, is that the same movie, be in the capsule and go over and infiltrate the, um, the aliens. And it was going to be a death mission. And instead of sending her, he went himself so that she could be saved. I was like, oh, bullshit. That he, she, he promised to put her on and let her go too, and he didn't do it. I'm just like, I'm sick of it. You, you should think of it this way, Rhonda, as uh, like going back to the, basically the Leonardo thing, but also the the life raft thing that you're talking about here, too. Um, it should just be, bitch, scoot over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me on. I don't need to die out here. Oh, yeah. That, well, the whole thing with her just sitting there going, letting letting it happen. And I'm like get your ass up here, man. It's like, I, there's plenty of room. We, you know, we've been spooning all night. You can get up. <laughs> yep. Gee, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, I know it's supposed to look sacrificial and all of this, but it, it's just, to me, it's just a cheap way out of the, the end of the story. Yeah. Anyway. And I can't even, I don't think, I can't think of a single movie offhand, and I'm sure people will be happy to correct me on this, but I can't think of a single movie offhand where the woman chooses to sacrifice herself for the man at all. Yeah, they don't let her. I, like I, I said, even in aliens. Oblivion, she she wanted to be a part of it, and he wouldn't allow it. What about Alien or Aliens? Come on, Ripley? Yeah, but she doesn't sacrifice herself no. in either of those two movies to save anybody. Survive. That's not true. She sacrifices herself to save Newt. She doesn't sacrifice she... herself, though. She goes back and saves her. 
I think that's just kind of a, a twist on the damsel in distress, <laughs> except for it's a child yeah. in distress. It's it's more of the mama bear trope, I guess. Um, Ripley does sacrifice herself. Is I believe it's in the third movie mm. uh, where she that's right. She knows she, did she in knows the third she, movie. When yeah. she knows she's been impregnated by the alien, and she knows that that's the last surviving alien as far as she knows on the planet, so she takes a swan dive into the molten metal of the foundry with it. Well, she does oh, it again in the fourth alert. movie as well. I mean, she's an artificial clone of herself, but I mean, at the same time, she still, you know, chooses to hold off the aliens so people can escape. Right. But that's, it's not so much a, what, what uh, Ron is speaking about here, though, is specifically... A man chooses to sacrifice himself for a woman or, you know, specifically his spouse or his girlfriend or something like that. And I can't think of a situation in in cinema off the top of my head where that same thing plays out but in reverse. Yeah, if, if we that's a good place to close. If any of our listeners know of a situation where uh, a female is allowed to do that either for a group or for... Um, an individual, especially a man, uh, let us know. We uh, and let us know about some more tropes. If you if there's some male tropes out there, we we are definitely an equal opportunity situation here. That's a reason why I'm glad I had the guys on so we could get that perspective. But uh, you can check out uh, ways to contact us on our website at gameongirl.com. <laughs> Well, while I've got the guys here, you've heard Regina and I talk about our top five list. And one of the very first ones that we ever did were our top five favorite female classic characters. These were characters that we felt like that um, we remembered from childhood and uh, possibly or potentially had an impact on us. Uh, It's one of our very first top five episodes. So I pulled that up and I thought I would do it with Mark and Ryan. And we would talk about top five sci-fi classic male characters. And we decided to concentrate on television because it's just, it gets too big if you, if you include everything. So um, I don't know whether you guys put yours in order or not. doesn't matter. Um, I had a hard time whittling my list down. At first, I was like, oh, I can only think of two. But uh, w- once I got to thinking about it, I was like, oh, man, there's so many great characters. Yeah, that's exactly how I was, too. I I was trying to think about it. I could only think of a couple of really big ones. And um, I ended up going online and, and looking for just like a list of top um, classic sci-fi shows. And IGN had a list of 50 of them. And I was able to go, oh, there's a show I remember. There's a show I remember. Yeah. Well, you yeah. forget. I mean, there's so much great sci-fi now. You have to, yes. you know, really go back and think about what was awesome when you were younger. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Ryan, why don't we start with you? Why don't you give me one of yours? Uh, well, Let's... I actually did put mine in a uh, top five situation. Uh, so let's right. start with number five. All right. Number five, I picked Optimus Prime from Transformers, the cartoon TV series. Specifically, remember going to the uh, Sixplex and watching on the big screen the Transformers movie. I had the Transformers toy, Optimus Prime with a deep voice and awesomeness. He was just uh, a cool cat in a truck. <laughs> yep. I figured somebody would come up with something from Transformers. It was not huge with, with in our household. What about you, Mark? You've got a number. 
I do. I do have mine uh, listed. I I picked this one because from my earliest memories in childhood, I remember having uh, this toy and watching this show and thinking he was just the coolest guy ever and he seemed to be like a really good guy and that was uh, steve austin from the six million dollar man oh yeah 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 i i totally forgot about him and as soon as i saw him on that ign list i was like i loved that show when i was a little kid and i had the the 12 inch steve austin doll that actually had like the little thing you could look through his head and it was oh, magnified yeah. and it was he, it was he was just great he was i i think he was a really good uh um role model for for little boys back then um from what i can remember i mean i don't know if there may have been something you know misogynistic or <laughs> sexist yeah. back then but i i don't remember that i remember him being a good no guy. i'm still waiting no. for my six million dollars <laughs> right <laughs> well i think um he the actor was at dragon con last year oh was he yeah I, I always take a walk around the Walk of Fame, and and I think he was sitting in there at the time. So, awesome, nice, yeah, yeah, cool dude. Well, what um, about you, Rhonda? Um, number five, I have Mork from Ork um, from the Mork and Mindy show. Nanu, 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 yeah. Nanu. That is that um, is one I totally forgot about as well. And again, I remember watching him when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that we never missed that show, and it was an enormous breakout of course for Robin Williams but it, to me it, it it just changed everything because there was a character on TV that was juxtaposed to all this normality and you never knew what he was going to do and at the same time it was compassionate and um, loving and accepting and it was just like craziness right once I, a week i remember you know? i remember at the i think it was at the end of every episode where he'd have his confab with uh, his um leader over you know yeah. their, his radio or whatever it was and he was always talking about you know the good things he, he saw in humanity yeah yeah it was it was well-rounded and it was a, a fun character until uh, until he and mindy got married and ruined everything <laughs> <laughs> and as we uh, came to find out that's just robin williams being robin williams yes right it is oh and i meant to does Anybody know whether how early that action figures came into play? Because I mean, I remember the six million dollar man action figure, but I mean, were they a big deal before that? Oh yeah. Well, they had like okay. the twelve inch GI Joes were a big deal. I, I remember my mom had quite a few of those actually, um, but they had you know came with full full clothing and and things like that. It was before the you know little five inch six inch uh, GI Joes that. I had when I was younger, but uh, uh, do you remember but, when those came out? Mark? But was it based off of a TV show? Steve Austin was based off the TV show. Um, right. The G.I. Joes, um, I believe, and I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that originally G.I. Joe was um, an actual character as opposed to being a member of a team. And I think he was originally created as like a support or um, – you know, kind of recruitment tool, like a um, propaganda, propaganda tool. Okay. Um, and I want to say that he has been around since um, the forties or fifties, but I, yeah. I don't know for certain. All right. I was wondering about that, uh, that action figure from, uh, that comes from TVs and movies and stuff like that. Yeah. I think, I think that that whole thing really got going with uh, star Wars, the, the 
the, oh, yeah. the first Star Wars movies back in the 70s. That's where I think it really took off. I, I, part of it, you, I remember the, um, the Steve Austin, but also I've been seeing recently that they are coming out with Alien and Aliens action figures, and they're just phenomenal. Yeah, they, they really have gone above and beyond on the new, on the new action figures that are coming out. Um, mm. But uh, there was, back in the day, even back uh, um, in the, was it 79 that Alien came out? They they had an action figure for it back then, and then that was also a 12-inch action figure. Oh. God, can you imagine how much that's worth? <laughs> <laughs> mm. You'd be surprised. Uh, things like that don't necessarily always go for that much money because people weren't really into those monsters back then. Well, Ryan, what's your number four? Uh, well, I had uh, Sam Beckett from Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah. You know, just a cool character. Just a neat sci-fi character that leaped in between uh, different instances in time and different uh, people. I thought that, uh, you know, Scott Bakula did a really good job with that character. Yeah, he did. It was it was interesting because he's a, he's a scientist and he's a serious dude and he's been putting put in these hilarious situations. It's nice. Right. And if you look at the early episodes of that show, it wasn't uh, – it, it took a little bit, you know, for it to grow up into its big boy pants to where it was, mm-hmm. you know, actually a really good show. As, you know, a lot of shows do. But uh, it's just a, a stark contrast to his character in the beginning of the series to, you know, how he ended up towards the end. Yeah. Did you have to go back and look at that, like on Netflix or something like that, right, to see that that change, that that growth? Yeah, and I I can't remember where I rewatched it at. It may have been Netflix, probably was. Um, but I remember watching the first episodes, thinking that it was not the the Sam Bakula that I remember. Um, <laughs> or you know, it was just kind of like ah, it just seems off. And then you kind of get into the show a little bit. It's like oh, because when that came out, I wasn't, I don't think, old enough to understand character development. What about you, Mark? What's your number four? My number four, and I believe this is on your list somewhere, Rhonda. I could Uh-oh. be wrong. Um, is Starbuck from the original Battlestar Galactica? Oh yeah. And um, you know, I I liked him just for the fact that he was kind of a, a smarmy bastard. Yes. <laughs> I I loved. Uh, I I really liked that character, and when you think about it, it's it's basically um, you know just another Han Solo. Uh, but I really liked the way that uh, was his name Dirk Benedict mm-hmm. um, played that role, and and you know I thought it was a fun character, and you know he was obviously roguish and kind of in it you know for himself, but you know he always had Apollo's back in the end, so. Yeah, I thought he was a great character. Um, the, it was sort of like uh, Starsky and Hutch in space. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I could definitely see that. And actually, poor Starbuck got bumped off my list. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, it it was tough. I tell you these, I tell you guys, it was tough. Um, what made my number four is Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows, and I have tried to go back and watch the original show and it's really tough to get through. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what brought it to the list is because I did watch it when I was so very young and it, it's still it, the imagery and the memories of it are so embedded and so vivid that, um, that story was so unique that it, it just, it, st- it stuck with me. 
And um, it, it's fascinating. It was a, a soap opera at that time about a vampire. Fabulous. Gotta love it. Yeah, that's when you think about it, that was really ahead of its time. I mean, I could easily see, you know, that being, um, you know, really watched in this day and age. But you mm-hmm. know, when you think about it, back in the 60s when that came around, that was kind of cutting edge. I mean, yeah. it's. I, I tried to go back and watch it again myself, I think about a year or two ago on Netflix. And for me, it was just so bad. It was comical. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I had, hilarious. I had to, I had to stop watching it, but yeah, you know, that was, that was pretty impressive for, you know, being back in the sixties. Well, Ryan, what, what's your number three? Twiggy from Buck Rogers. <laughs> Twiggy was, uh, and I remember when Mark and I were younger, um, he was probably the most quotable sci-fi character, uh, you know, on from television anyway, from my youth. You know, just we kind of make fun of the way that Twiggy talked and everything. Just, you know, a cool little comic relief robot, um, you know, that also saved Buck Rogers uh, a couple different times. And was voiced most of the time by Mel Blanc of Looney Tunes fame. And I always loved Looney Tunes, so I loved the fact that uh, he voiced Twiggy. Or was it Tweaky? Tweaky. That's right. I thought it was Twiggy. Is it Tweaky? You know, I can't remember now. <laughs> I'm going to say Twiggy because that's what I remember, and I could be wrong. And I probably am, but that's fine. Well, what about you, Mark? What's your number three? My number three is jumping back into, I think, what we would consider one of the, the big classics of uh, the 80s, which is uh, Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. Is that Uh-oh. 80s? No, it's not. What's that? It's 90s. No, no. It was. It started in the eighties. I remember watching it that did? show. Yeah, <laughs> I remember watching that show when I was um, still in uh, middle school, I think. But yes, it, it did start in the eighties. Um, in fact, if you ask Will Wheaton about it, he'll. I'm sure he would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I just remembered that Data. I just liked Data. He he was so. Matter of fact, I mean, he was basically, for all intents and purposes, the Spock of the next generation without the, you know, the general kind of heavy brooding presence that uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy brought to the to Spock in the original series. There wasn't any of that with um, Data. It was more just kind of matter of fact. Um, yeah, I'm here. I know this stuff. This is what's going on, you know, and you know that's just the way the way he was it wasn't there wasn't any kind of uh um you know there wasn't any kind of i don't want to say angst because i don't think that spock brought angst uh he, he was spock was just super serious and i think data just was and i think he that was, was a vulcan mm-hmm, i know but i think data was just awesome because he was just there he was just you know doing his thing and he was matter of fact about everything and just to clarify i just looked it up um, 1987 to 1994. I know. I yep. can't believe it. Yep. It changes everything. It changes everything. <laughs> My list. <laughs> you could have had it on your list, and you wanted it on your list, didn't you? But you yes. You could have had Will Wheaton on your list. I guess that probably would have been Man. Regina. That would have been so Regina. Sad. I think that I I understand what you're trying to describe, Mark, with data. Mm-hmm. I think that um, part of the difference is because I've been I've been going back and rewatching Enterprise, and they have a Vulcan on there, a lot of Vulcans on there as well. And 
I think it's the constant feeling that the Vulcans are flesh and blood. They're they're humanoid. And so you are expecting them to kind of come around to some emotion or something like that. And with Data, you know you can just accept him just flat out as he is. And yeah. he uh. has absolutely no motives whatsoever behind uh, what he says. Right. Well, and, except and, for know, he is constantly on a, a mission for emotions as well. He well, is. He is, but it, it doesn't really get in the way of things until later on when they actually find an yes. relationship. But, you know, actually what you just said about Enterprise, the whole Enterprise arc and the first contact arc with the with the Vulcans, you just brought it into perspective for me even better than than what you just said, which is the Vulcans always come across as mom or dad sitting on the yes. ship. You know, making sure you guys don't get in any trouble now. We, yes. You can't do this. The prime directive said so. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's like, it's like having mom or dad on the, on the ship all the time. So, and, yeah. and data just was, he, data was, you know, it was like, you know, your Nintendo system, except for he, you know, talked and hung out. <laughs> so Not judgy. Vulcans are very judgy. Yeah, they were very judgy. Well, and I will disagree with the emotion part of Data because there was that one episode in the first season where, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what the, the storyline was, but some sort of chemical got into the crew and, you know, Data you know, gets all busy and, uh, you know, so when <laughs> yeah. Will Wheaton pulls out all the chips from the, the guidance computer and you know, yeah. <laughs> they're about to go into some vortex and. Hey, but that was not, that was not Dana's fault. He was clearly altered by something that they never dealt with before. So, you know, but he was a drunk robot. They hey. got busy. He was. Give the Android a break. Okay. Yeah. And he's, he was fully functional. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> That was the question on everybody's mind anyway. You just may as well come out and say it. That's right. <laughs> and there's so much further we could go with that. But let's just move on and find out what... Uh... On number three. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I put down Kolchak from the Night Stalker. And part of the reason why I remember Kolchak so much is, again, it, he was a surprise character. Um, he just looks like this grizzled reporter and uh, either someone whose career has, has gotten past him or that he's just not taken very seriously or he just never have, has had a really big break. But he's tenacious and he loves what he does and he ends up discovering these sci-fi stories, these supernatural stories that he can't really write about. Nobody's ever going to believe him. And that was a surprise for me. And the only reason that I ever ended up watching it is because my dad loved it. And I would sit down and watch it with him. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's it's almost like a, a cop drama, but but the cops are not the main characters. I and mean, they're not the ones that solve everything. And so, so. so basically, it sounds to me kind of like this was X-Files before there was X-Files. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. He had, you guys didn't watch Night Stalker? Nope. No. No. Oh my God! You guys would love it. It's just this—it's this, it's this uh, grizzled dude. Okay, now I've, now I've got to find out who the actor is because he's a—he's a well-known actor, and I just—I don't have any brain energy left for. <laughs> <laughs> so was he kind of basically like the uh, the the archetypal um, Pulp Fiction, um, you know, reporter down on uh -huh. the seedy side of town kind of guy? Yeah, Darren McGavin. And he, he worked in a um, newspaper office, and he was always following these stories, and nobody would pay any attention to him. And he would end up meeting a vampire or a werewolf or a witch or something like that in, in, in the, uh, the subway or in the sewer system or something. And he would come out, barely escape with his life, and then at the end he'd be sitting there on his 
typewriter typing up his story. That nobody was going to believe him. <laughs> no, nobody was going to believe. But he had a great time. And that's what was, you know, he, he, it didn't matter to him. He had a great time and he was going to write it and he had something good to write. All right. We're getting down to the, the end. Ryan, what's your number two? Uh, that would be Al Calavisi from Quantum Leap, the epic comic relief of oh, uh, yeah. sci-fi. <laughs> the, yeah. uh, the womanizer hologram Al. Uh you know, that guy was awesome comic relief um, in my youth. Yeah, I got to I got to looking back at, at some of the quotes that he had. <laughs> they were great. <laughs> they were, they were, they were, they were, they were really good. They were borderline sexist, but that's who well, he was. Yeah, I mean, and that was '80s television. If you yes. were a male character, for sure, to leap into somebody else's body, you got to have some, you know, wisecracker show up just to, uh, you know. Sharing okay, your misery. It. Yeah. It's like drowning and they're describing the water. <laughs> yes. It's like, what do you expect me to do? I'm a hologram. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> All I can do is stand here. Yeah. He's pretty funny. And he, who was recent? I noticed on um, on Enterprise, he was a guest on that Dean, show. It was Dean Stockwell, wasn't it? It's not the guy's yeah. real name. Yep. Yeah. What about you, Mark? What's your number two? I had a tie for number two. Oh, man. I know. I'm a cheater, cheaterson, but... That's just the way it's got to be. Um, my tie for number two is Bones and Scotty from the original Star Trek. Mm. And I could have, I looked at doing Spock and I looked at doing Kirk. And when I thought about it, yeah, I mean, the show kind, they were, they were the main presence of the show, but they were too, A, they were too easy and B, I couldn't really identify with them. And mm. yeah, I love I love Bones' character because he's the perfect foil for for Spock. And he's the guy that you're always, in my opinion, seeing the events unfolding in the show through his eyes. You know, he's basically the conduit for the audience because he's the one that's always saying the things <laughs> that, you know, I at least I was always thinking about, you know, when Spock would say, you know, we got to do this, it's eminently logical. And, and you know, of course, Bones would have a fit and call him a... a you know, dirty mm-hmm. green blooded demon or something. What and, we're all thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Scotty, you know, when you think about it, he was the guy that always saved the day. I mean, yeah, sure. Kirk, you know, you know, came up with a daring plan or something like that. But in the end, you can, you can pretty much think about it. If you think about it, you can always remember, you know, somebody asking for Scotty to either give them more power or more mm-hmm. engines or get the shields back up or, you know, get power to the weapons or make the make the uh, transporter work. Scotty was the <laughs> the yep. dude that saved their asses every time. Um, so th- that's why those two were, to me, the most important people on 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 the show. And that's why they made my number two. I think they picked a really great actor to play um, to play Bones in the new Star Trek. Oh my God! Yeah, Carl Urban. Yeah, he does a phenomenal job of uh, getting Forrester Kelly's, um, you know, rhythm and speaking patterns down and timing. I mean, they that guy is incredible at pulling that off. I think my favorite Scotty quote, uh, and it's from uh, the fourth movie. <laughs> is when he's uh he's in the the glass making factory <laughs> and uh bones goes uh, i think you need to use the mouse <laughs> and he oh. goes a mouse how quaint <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I loved i can't remember it was in one of the movies as well where um 
somebody, I, maybe it was on an episode of uh, Next Generation that he guessed it on. I can't remember. He uh, he basically was with another engineer or somebody, and they said, you know, oh, it'll be done in X amount of time. And Scotty's like, what are you doing? You never tell him that. You tell him, <laughs> you know, twice as long, or you know, it's gonna be a day or something like that. That way, when you get it done sooner, <laughs> you look like the hero. <laughs> That had to exactly. have been on Next Generation. Yeah, I think so too. I can't. It's it's got to have been the Next Generation or maybe one of the movies. But I, I always loved that that quote. That was a great one. Well, another one of the shows that I spent a lot of time watching over and over and over again was Batman. And there are so many great characters on the original Batman series, and a lot of it was supported by just some great actors and it was mm-hmm. really hard to pick. Frank Gorshin was hilarious. He well it was he's like uh Robin Williams when he gets on the screen. He's like doing things that you think an adult shouldn't be doing. Right. He's just a maniac. And then there was Cesar Romero and Arthur Kitt and all these great people. But um, I kind of cheated and I picked um Egghead because he's played by Vincent Price. Oh, oh. Yeah, because he's one of my favorite actors. Oh, and Egghead was, was on about six episodes, I think. Yeah, if he, he was is, only ever on one episode, then yes, maybe, but no. no kidding. I was just oh, he's just fabulous. And he didn't do a lot of television before then. He did it he was, you know, mostly in the movies and stuff, but you could have just you could have picked just about anybody. Um now I forget what the um actor's name was. There was a, a King Tut villain an egyptian villain i mean they were just hilarious and um um what's his name who played penguin i remember Bur- who uh, burgess burgess it was just really they're great characters absolutely memorable animated full screen characters it was fantastic yeah. color and crooked sets and <laughs> all everything the 60s were it was fabulous. Yeah. okay this is it ryan what's your number one i think i will uh do my number one with a quote <laughs> I kill me. <laughs> Alf. That, that would be Alf. Yeah, that would be Alf. Alf from Alf. That yes. show was amazing. Alf was awesome. See, I don't remember us watching Alf. Really? You you don't remember? Uh, a I remember Alf, but I, I don't think that was one of our regular, you know, that we sat down and watched. I Alf. think my oh. my favorite thing about him was his penchant for wanting to eat cats. Eat cats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the cat lovers out there are going to hate me for it, but, you know, I'm a dog person. What can I say? Yeah, I'm a cat lover, too. but it was still hilarious. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. See, that goes back to our earlier conversation about about tropes and, and swinging the pendulum too far. It's like, I don't I don't know if people would find that funny now. It's <laughs> hilarious. Alf yeah. is timeless. Just yeah. here to state that. Mark, what's your number one? My number one was Ryan's number five, Optimus Prime from the Transformers. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think I was around 10 or 11 when that show first started up. And Transformers were the bomb. I mean, (laughs) you couldn't get any cooler than, you know, robots that turned into other things at that point. And... You know, I just remember, and and I could be getting this colored because the guy who voiced uh, Optimus in the cartoons has voiced him in the movies that have been out in the last several years. Um, But I always remember, you know, Optimus as being, you know, just this straight up robot and, um, you know, always fighting the good fight and, you know, trying to think of others first and all that. And He was like the sheriff in the Old West. Mm -hmm. I, I Hmm. I loved 
his character. I mean, I loved all the all the characters in that show. You know, even you know a lot of the Decepticons were great characters, um, and you know. I love that show so much that I remember when I came home one day, I think I was 12 years old or something like that when they canceled it in my town. I came home and I flipped on the TV after school waiting to watch my, my Transformers and they weren't on. And I was like, what, what's going on? There's just some Gilligan rerun or something. And I was like, well, this is, this is madness. And I ran, <laughs> I ran and grabbed the phone book. I looked up the number for the, the television station. <laughs> I called them up and I was like, where, what happened to Transformers? And, oh, it's been canceled. And that was my first instance ever of nerd rage. <laughs> a nerd rage so profound that oh. it put a hole in my bedroom door. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so That's that where that hole came from. Exactly. So that that tells you how much I loved that show and how much I loved those characters when I was a kid. So that, I, uh, I thought that that had to be number one, given, given my visceral response to, to losing that in my afternoon after school. Oh, that's a fantastic story. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Really, and, you know, it's, it's hard to um, reach back and, and figure out exactly what it was about the shows at that time that had such a huge impact on us. Mm. And that's what I struggled with the most with the list is I knew that some of these characters had to be on the list, but at the same time, I, I couldn't explain past more than it's like, I don't know. They're just burned in my brain. That Exactly. And that's, you know? and that's how it was with me for the Transformers, what you were yeah. saying about um, Dark Shadows. You probably went back and watched those, and like you said, it's hard to get through them. And I tried watching the original Transformers on Netflix like about six months ago because you know that was the show. I loved it when I was a kid, and I watch it now, and I'm like, oh my god, the animation is horrible. I can't <laughs> stand watching this, and you know, I I couldn't get through it, and you know, it kind of made me wonder, you know, should I just leave those things in the past and just keep the good memories and not go trying to search them out again and, and be disappointed? You are not a nostalgic person. I am not. When things are gone, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. But it's true. I mean, the magic back then is not the magic of today. Exactly. And it's not to say that it wasn't a good show for its time. It just didn't age well, in my opinion. You know, there there are some things I can still go back and watch the old Buck Rogers TV show, which was mm-hmm. uh, on my short list for number five, but didn't quite make it. Um, you know, and I can do the same thing with the old Star Trek shows and I can do that with the old um, Battlestar shows. But, you know, there's just some things that age horribly. I mean, I don't think that those shows aged well, but they didn't age as bad as the Transformers did for me. So what about you, Rhonda? Okay. Uh, My number one is James West from The Wild Wild West. Good choice. And there's just absolutely everything to me awesome and cool about that dude. He got the girl. He he really wore the hell out of that tight suit. (laughs) And he always won. He was smart. He wasn't just muscle, but he was also smart. I mean, he was a secret agent, for heaven's sake. And he lived on a train. I mean, it's just everything cool about him. He was just like the first dude or something, you know. It was, he was a blast. And the, 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 the artwork and the set construction and all of that, the way that they merged the West 
the West theme and everything with all of these wild characters and, and crazy events and gadgets and tools and equipment uh, was, was really great. It was, it was a fun imagination. Would it, um, would it be fair to say that given that, that it's kind of maybe one of the first instances of steampunk before, you know, steampunk became a thing? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, the, 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 the gadgets weren't so far-fetched that they didn't fit the environment. I guess that's exactly what I just said. So they did have a very steampunk idea to them. And so that's what sold the audience on it and kept the audience in the period. And uh, that was, that's pretty great. Was, I've never missed that show. Watch that with my dad, too. Awesome. He, he loved Westerns. He absolutely loved them. And I hated them. I, but it had, you know, this craziness in it. And I think that's what got me. So Yeah. You know, and that, I think, brings up a good point, too, that we have to, you know, be really thankful to our parents. Because if it wasn't for my mom, I would have, you know, I don't think I necessarily would have, you know, ever fallen in love with the original Star Trek series or, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, Six Million Dollar Man and stuff like that. And I'm sure, you know, some of that's the same with Ryan as well. You know, I think, and, and like you just said, you know, watching those shows with your dad, you know, it's some, it's a good memory to have. I remember, you know, uh, originally I think uh, um, Battlestar aired on Sunday evenings. And so when I was a kid, it was like, you know, right after I got out of the bathtub, you know, but before school the next day, I, I went out in the the living room and, you know, during the fall and wrapped myself up in a blanket and watched mm -hmm. Metal Star with my mom. And, you know, it's just a great feeling to have that, you know. And, yeah. And our parents did that and paved it, paved the road mm -hmm. for us, you know, paved the way for us. Yeah. He, dad definitely introduced me to sci-fi. He was he was the instigator there, and uh, he gave me my first Stephen King novel and changed my world, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've had a really good time looking at um, the men in classic sci-fi, and I'm glad you guys were able to join me and get a different perspective, especially since I wasn't a Transformers fan. I love hearing those stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know that there was a reason to be a Transformers <laughs> fan, but after trying to watch it again, but, you know. It is what it is, and I loved it back then. Well, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Are there any classics that we missed? Anything you disagree with? We uh, we hope you enjoyed our list. You've been listening to Game On Girl. You can find all our social media connections on our website, GameOnGirl.com. I'm your co-host, Ryan Broom. And I'm your other co-host, Mark Scholl. And I'm Rhonda Oglesby, your host. You can find me on Twitter at RoRoom. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. Thanks again, guys, Mark and Ryan, for joining me today. My pleasure. Yay. We always love having Mark and Ryan on. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made on the show, can be found on our website at gameongirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening. Until next time, the guys say Game, Game on! on. Woohoo!